All right, all right, all right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Welcome back, welcome back. Not only to a new month, but a new episode of the Think Forward podcast. I am your host, Abel Janelle, executive director and founder, one of the founders of Project Think Forward, and we are here for episode five. I have a very special guest with us today. We have Miss Alex Sanchez back with us today. Alex, how are you? Hello, hello. So good to have you in the studio here with us. Last time we spoke on the phone, which is great, but the in-person is always, I feel like, a lot better connection, and we can kind of, there's no signal issues or anything, so it's always good to have people in the studio, but I'm so happy to have Al here today because we are talking about women and daughters and kind of the connection that kind of comes with it. Am I kind of right there, Alex, with what we're kind of going yep. with? Today really is with Mother's Day just recently passing um, and Father's Day really coming up, we figured why not go ahead and address these topics and talk about both our, our mothers and our fathers and the men and women of society, as well as some of the struggles we seem to be facing. Right. Now, before we begin, I do want to say a big shout out and a big thank you to Avalon Park for the continued support mm-hmm. and uh, allowing us to use their space for our recording. So, again, thank you so much, Avalon Park. We love you. We look forward to the future working together. Now, before we even begin, Alex, I do have to be honest here. Um, today is June 1st. Um, yes. It's a Tuesday. We're fresh from Memorial Day weekend. Had a great weekend, but uh, today, all day, I've been kind of like a little bit anxious. And I was always confused when people would say to me, you know, I I just feel kind of anxious. I just like, I don't know why. And I'm, you know, my brain, I hate to relate mail, but my my brain in this kind of aspect is, what is it that's causing you to to feel anxious? And today, the whole day, I don't know why I felt like a little bit more anxious, kind of like my chest is kind of tight or something like that. So I cleaned the whole house. You know, I deep clean everything. I'm just trying to see if maybe I, I keep busy. I started reading my book. But, uh, yeah, I was feeling kind of anxious the, the whole day. So I started doing one of the exercises that I've learned. Uh, I think I spoke to you about it or somebody online. But with or I actually spoke to Kristen about this like two weeks ago about the rhythmic tapping like on the chest, you know, mm-hmm. with the heart. So I did that a little bit before you came in and it definitely kind of eased me, but just honest today, I don't know why I felt anxious or what it is or I did my normal routine with my food, with the gym, with my exercise. Nothing was kind of out of the ordinary. I'm not expecting anything. I'm not waiting for anything to kind of come in the mail or I don't have some big results that I'm waiting for or like a big test. So I found it kind of odd, but I just wanted to share that and be transparent because we are here on June 1st. Mental Health Awareness Month is technically over, but that does not mean that your mental health should be taking the backseat now any longer. Even though we are out of May, we are into June, we are entering the summer months, it's all a great time. But still make sure to take care of yourself first, people. Make sure that you're focusing on yourself and trying to make a better self for you and for the future of the people around you. So I just wanted to kind of share that and be a little bit transparent there in that aspect while I'm here with you, Alex. So... That's kind of where we stand, and um, how was your weekend? Was it a good weekend? It was good, but kind of touching on what you were saying, you're not the first person to tell me that today. Yeah. Kind of anxious energy seems to be floating around there right now. I mean, and at the end of the day, let's face the facts. We're still going through some hard times with, right. with going through this pandemic, and we're all working to really find our, our way and routine back and everything. Yeah. So it makes sense, even this Memorial Weekend, was it as typical of a Memorial Weekend as it would have been? Right. Yeah, and I mean, even, yeah, kind of like in that aspect of, I had some family in town that was, you know, from 
not from a uh, around here because Cameron did get married about a week ago. So congratulations, Cameron, to that. Woo. Forgot to mention that last time, Cameron. Congratulations, we love you. Uh, our, our operations director here at Projecting Four. But yeah, so he got married uh, about a week and a half ago, almost two weeks ago, and you know we were still kind of celebrating this upcoming weekend and it was great and you know everything was good but it was today where i woke up i knew i had to get things done and i completed all my tasks you know in a timely fashion i wasn't rushing or anything and um yeah okay she gives me the uh the uh some horoscopes so yes the horoscope <laughs> stuff so yeah i'm a cancer let's read cancer real quick where's the cancer let's go down this is for gemini hold on we're going to find out for cancer. How did I know she was going to bring up the astrology? Let's see. Is my moan in retrograde? Is my something going on? <laughs> I'm, I'm nervous here. Let's find right. out. Well, this one was more specific. This had nothing to do with, oh, with any like a, type of okay. specific one. This is just moon being in Pisces. So it's saying with it being in Pisces, there's more highly sensitive uh, energies, perspective in your surroundings, that this may be a time you just want to be a little bit more cautious to overstimulation and really working on creating that sense of peace of mind. Okay, that's good. To and how long is this? Uh, is how long is that active for? We don't know. That I am not because I feel like sure. the moon. I feel like the moon thing with the like with how it, with the retrograde and all, all that stuff. I I feel like it's always doing something. So I I and I just hate to kind of put. All of my, oh, like, this is why I'm acting this way, which obviously, you know, I am a person of facts, but I do definitely agree with that in some aspects. So let's see, before we begin, let's read my horoscope for the day for cancer. It says, the moon in Aquarius reminds you of stressful times that are long gone and behind you, but the atmosphere tends to repeat itself and show you that the emotional core of the issue has not been resolved. Be patient with your processes. They aren't meant to be fixed overnight. This is an excellent time for therapy. Oh, tricked me. This is an excellent time for therapy and to implement changes into your perspective. Use what the world has to offer to make progress on a psychological plane and learn more about yourself. See, that tapping work uh, happened to be at the right time then, huh? Yeah. Well, I mean, and again, I just recently learned that like less than a month ago and it's just, it's kind of like my go-to. I mean, not like I ever had one prior, but... If I'm ever do feeling like that, I do tend to do it, and it, I mean it. It does work. Uh, like like I was talking about with Kristen, and then we'll kind of get started. Um, just kind of how she kind of touched base, and this is something that I can even relate to music. Um, just kind of like that rhythmic thing. It it kind of gives us a sense of control, like we know what's coming next. So it kind of gives us like a safe sort of space. And that's kind of, and when I learned about that, I was able to relate it to my past with DJing and all that stuff. So it it really kind of touched for me in a sense of, oh, that makes like perfect sense. Like Mm -hmm. I can definitely see why people do that. Or I can definitely see why that's a kind of like a comma because it's, it's the facts. Like, you know, what's coming next. It's not out of your control. You can kind of see what to do. And, you know, there's the same count, the same measure and, so, yeah, it kind of feels good. But even in my positivity, guys, just to show you that people do still get anxious, people do still have these feelings just because you're in a good mental health or a good mental space doesn't mean you don't have some off days or minutes. And like right. today, I didn't even feel off, but I just felt I just felt anxious at the gym driving. You know, even when I was cooking, eating, cleaning, I just 
I just felt like I was antsy, more so triggered on something. But let's go ahead and um, shift it for me. Uh, let's go ahead and get into our women with our recent passing of Mother's Day. I do want to say happy Mother's Day, even after the fact to all the mothers. Uh, we wouldn't be here without you. So a big uh, congratulations to them. Love. To my mother, you know, personally, and to all the mothers around, Alex, you have a wonderful mother as well. So, yes, sir, I do. want to say thank you so much to Alex's mom for creating her and bringing her into our lives. Um, where do you so want to begin in this kind of topic? Because I feel like there's so many avenues that we can kind of deep dive on. Right. So, where do you kind of want to begin, and we can kind of shift from there. Right. So, came across this picture today, which happened to be just perfect for this topic. And it's a picture of a mom. It goes, the ideal mom, the ideal worker, and our dehumanizing of of our expectations of women and of mothers. So hearing that really led me to a lot of my background with my internship. So as you are kind of aware, I did an internship uh, for a period of time at a hospital in the mental health department, Right. One of the big things while working there, and and probably the most surprising and shocking thing to me, was the people who who tended to come into us, come into our facilities the most, were mothers. Yeah. And when you look at it, it, it was really quite surprising and shocking. And when you ask them even kind of, well, what led to that? What led you to throwing yourself over the staircase? What led you to taking that extra pill? What led you to that moment, right? Right. So, yeah, I mean, not to cut you off, I can actually kind of sort of not relate, obviously, because I'm not a mother, but um, even growing up, you know, people think, you know, mothers have the one job, you know, they, they're the mothers, you know, they birth the kids, they raise them, maybe they go to work, they'll cook, but... There's so much more that kind of goes into it when it comes to being a mother. I mean, I just, you know, even recently uh, who I was speaking to, but, you know, to kind of give you guys your flowers, obviously, um, you guys are able to create a whole human. You guys are able to host a whole human. You guys are you guys have a human feeding off you for nine plus months. You guys give birth to this thing. And then maybe feed it for some more. And then maybe feed it for <laughs> some more years. And then even from there, it doesn't stop. Because right. even once you're done physically feeding them, you still have to, you know, shelter them, bathe them, you know, take take care of them, instill morals. And there's so many things. And, you know, mothers have more than one kid, typically. One, two, three, four, up, upwards of five kids. So when somebody tells me, like, yeah, you know, mothers are, are, are just mothers, it's like, well, it's a little bit deeper than that. Because, you know, they're... Again, not just to take anything away from men, but if we had to kind of compare things here, it's a lot to a little when it comes to, you know, females to males in that aspect. Mm -hmm. So how do you say, you know, we, you know, I've noticed like a huge spike when you were doing your internship with mothers. I can see that, you know, I've had aunts uh, or, you know, cousins who are mothers who just break down, you know, they'll Mm -hmm. have panic attacks or different things and they don't even know what it actually is because they've never even gone through it prior but they're so overwhelmed not even with work or one thing it's just so it's just a big ordeal of life altogether so where the body just physically just is exhausted and just gives out on you it's like a car when you push it to its limits right it's not gonna run no more you know it's it's gonna crap out on you so 
relating to that topic, I can see where it kind of stems and how it's kind of shunned on. It's and it's not really talked about because so many people see it as, and especially if they're just stay at home moms, people don't understand like sort of the cabin fever that comes with always being in the house, Mm -hmm. right? Even prior to a pandemic. I know, right? Especially with the pandemic right now. So throwing up pandemic where now the kids are homeschooling and, you know, there's all these things where it's like you might have had your, right, where you might have had your little bit of eight hours or six hours of kind of like a long time, you time where you can kind of digest. But now it's like, oh, they're always here. I always have to tend to them, which is, you know, obviously what people sign up for, but it's a lot to deal with and they don't really teach you that. So, yeah, I can kind of see how that could be a big issue there um, in the hospital and things like that. So, and that was, like I said, one of the most surprising things is you didn't expect that. And then there was a different level to it in the sense that we already have a lot of societal standards for both our men and women. And I want to make sure that we're, we're distinguishing. We're not talking down about our, our men either. Right. I'm we here we want to make sure to take that day <laughs> and honor them as well. Right, right, right. You know, but... With Mother's Day being the more recent one, we want to dive there first, right? Exactly. And and the biggest thing that these women often faced, it was the, the constant drip of regular life. It's, well, what was the straw that broke the camel's back? The dishes weren't done. Mm. My, my kids spoke back. It was the regular drip of everyday life that really ended up adding up. And it, it was really sad to hear that, how many of them felt very undervalued, very underappreciated, very unheard, very unloved, feeling like it's a a constant, thankless job, you know? And so that was really challenging. And then there's a different layer to it with with oftentimes the shame that then is added. Because oftentimes many of these women, it it was such impulse and in the moment for them to even get out of it and the deep shame that came with it after the fact of well, what about your kids? In your sort of um, experience at the hospital, is there any like a specific type of you know mother that you noticed was more likely like was you know did they have office jobs? Did they have you know managerial jobs? Or it was just a you know just like a big basket of different walks of life. It it, yep. it wasn't one sort of walk. Of, okay, so nope. Yeah, so it, it wasn't mothers. just one thing. It was just mother's period. And kind of how you said, you know, something very minor as not completing the dishes might have put them over like that next to of just blowing up and just exploding. But and as the you know child, because I can relate, I'm barely an adult. So, <laughs> um, you know, when they walk in the house after a nine hour plus day on their feeder, whatever it is that their job is, driving home 30 minutes in bumper to bumper traffic got to still make dinner and you know they ask you of one task to just get the dishes done and then they freak out on you and you as a child is like it's just the dishes why are you freaking out so much but you have to kind of and i didn't realize this until growing up you have to kind of think about well look at it from their point of view what is it that they went through all day might have dealt with the angry boss or horrible customer it's this traffic it's you know they didn't get this contract something didn't go right and they asked you to do this one thing and you couldn't complete it so 
Yeah, I learned that down the line. Of, you know, trying to put yourself in other people's shoes to right. see, okay, well, why is it that they're reacting this way? Even not just for a mother, just, you know, for people in general. Why is it that we as people react a certain way to things? You know, try to see it from other people's point of view. And with that, I, you know, I have gotten some clarity, even from my own mother or from my own family or, you know, in any type of situation. So that is something major that we can kind of touch on. Right. And, um, kind of go from there and so kind of like what i was saying we want to make sure to at least talk about the shame aspect that really comes there and so Brene brown she's um somebody who does a lot of research regarding vulnerability shame guilt things of that sort and she's one of the leading researchers really about this And so the way she defines shame, it's an intensely painful feeling of believing that we are unworthy of love and belonging, a fear of disconnection, that something we've done or failed to do, or the ideal that we have, we're not able to live up to making us unworthy and unworthy of connection. And at the end of the day, I think that's a very powerful definition because we as human beings are meant to connect. We, we oftentimes we know that that connecting is is what makes us right us even as a um as a, a child you know i can definitely kind of relate there with the aspect of connecting where you've had where you've upset your parent and they're kind of disappointed they're not really even more so mad but they're disappointed and as a child that breaks you even deeper than you know if they were to yell at you or scream at you like oh like you know what i'm just disappointed in you and you're like well sheesh like dang like i really did it this time and that could be just from not taking out the trash doing the dishes but again it's that connection because when the minute that we're born this is who we know mom and dad you know for the most part um this is who i've always known all my life i've known them all my life they were there since i was born they were there you know from the toddler you know adolescent preteen so it's like dang i disappointed this one person or these two people that can definitely kind of break you emotionally and kind of separate, you know, how it is that you even react or kind of bond with other people. You know what I mean? Making friends or girlfriends or things of that sort. Right. And and this is where I do want to make sure that we point out the difference, though, of the guilt versus shame. Right. So that guilt is when I, I have done something bad. We as human beings, we, we are going to make mistakes. We, we do things that hurt people even sometimes unintentionally, right? right? Guilt is not a, a bad thing. Guilt is actually quite helpful because it's an uncomfortable feeling that forces us sometimes to move. Shame is something different. Shame is there is something wrong with me. It, it's more there is something internally about me that is unacceptable and flawed, Right. So it it is deeper. Um, Shame. It's not you lied. You are a liar. It's a lot harder Uh, to change who you are and your characteristics in your being versus changing an action. This makes more sense. Okay. So it's not bad to have guilt, but shame is something so much deeper. Right. This leads to those harder aspects of feeling unworthy and unlovable because now it's not an action that's wrong with you. It's you as a person. Right. It's just how you're 
kind of personality is. This is kind of how you go through everyday life. Now, is this something that is sort of, I guess you would say, tall, or is it just kind of, you know, do we kind of just leave it up to personality, or is it something that could be kind of adjusted in the early years? What do you mean? So as far as, like, you know, let's use the example for someone who's, like, a liar, right? Um, we could say pathological because, obviously, if you're a liar, you tend to lie pretty frequently, right? Right. Okay, so is this something that, and I'm just trying to understand from a consumer aspect, is this something where it's like they've witnessed their parent or their mother, let's just say, yeah, that they've witnessed their mother lie all the time to like their aunts or like their cousins, so they kind of pick up that habit and it starts as kind of playful, like a child tells little white lies, but kind of growing up, it kind of gets a little bit more deeper to where they lie for you know, almost anything. And this kind of brings on that shame aspect to where like the mother or the cousins or somebody can't even trust now the uh, child. And it kind of brings on where it's like, I'm not guilty, but it's more of a shame. Is that kind of what we're kind of gearing towards? Not necessarily. So yes, people can build up habits and characteristics, things of that sort. Yes. But Shame is different in a lot of times. It, it comes from the messages we're hearing a lot of the time. Now, we can have an internal shame and in, in things that we do feel it are innately wrong with us, right. right? But at the end of the day, because we are the creator of our own stories, we are capable of changing something like that or challenging those messages that we've received, right? So understanding shame really leads us to examining the expectations and social standards that we are measured by. Right. Right. So when you're talking about actions, again, that's still really going more about the guilt aspect, not really about the shame aspect. Okay. But shame starts in in very subtle things. Um, And a lot of it is more in our language and how we speak. And oftentimes that concept of misery loves company. When Mm. we ourselves hold shame, we have a tendency then to share our shame and shame others. So a lot of it does tend to come from our communication and how we communicate with one another. And a lot of that, when when you have that kind of shame, it it becomes a lot more challenging to become vulnerable. And vulnerability ultimately leads us to connection. Okay, now now I'm more so kind of seeing the, the different connections here for this sort of thing. So again, do you kind of see this as something with the way that you're... Um, talking about it something early on right something you know if we're able to be vulnerable as children it can kind of help for connections kind of growing up and and so like adulthood and all that kind of stuff more so if it's not a possibility early on but you are saying that we can change it so i i I don't want to say that you know if you if you don't do this at the early ages it's a end-all be-all but have you found in your experience that it is harder down the line to kind of change that aspect and kind of change that norm? Like what's kind of norm for you? Right. Okay. Well, at that point, it's how many years have you at that point then built the habit of how you speak to yourself and how, how, how you speak to yourself and how you speak to others now. Right. Right. So of course, the earlier we can catch this, the earlier we can work to speak better language as not just individuals, but as, as communities, as families, we can change that aspect. 
but a lot of any healing, it starts with us. It starts with us as our, our own individual self, yeah. right? But it, it, it's small things. It's not, you're a liar. You lied. You can change your action. Right. And I think this goes down to that aspect, though, of recognizing our mistakes, admitting our mistakes, and and creating that space for for the vulnerability to show that you can make mistakes to show that you you can correct mistakes that we can talk about mistakes that we can understand one another right and so Brene Brown in her book Daring Greatly does a great job of really explaining it and one of the best examples I feel like that makes me really understand it is she really worked on trying to not shame doing any shaming with her kids right i mean at the end of the day she she's leading research regarding this you know you're going to be more likely to implement that into your home so it's so much to the point that when she went daisy you're a bad dog the kids would pop around the corner mommy she's not a bad dog she did something bad but she's a good girl not a bad girl okay so thinking of that just as simple of an example as with the dog how often do we, even with our kids, good boy, good girl, <laughs> bad girl. Right. You were a bad kid. Now, what internal message is that feeding? Right. Oh, so this is something deeper now in the aspect of like the, the way that we sort of respond to how our children kind of act early on can kind of trigger certain other things going forward. So maybe the way that this goes back to my acting, reacting thing that I keep on bringing up every week. You know, this is, this is literally, it's, it's always connecting. I swear. Like I'm telling you when I learned it, when I learned the action reaction and I'm not perfect, I'm not saying that, you know, wait, I don't get upset or angry. I definitely do. But I'm telling you when you use my concept that I've learned and I might've twisted it a certain way, thankful for all the therapists that I speak to daily and weekly action reaction. Somebody doesn't act to you. You don't like it. You're not happy with it. It's, it brings you dis discomfort. Maybe adjust how you react, and that could change the course of action for them in that moment and in the future. Yes or no? Absolutely. Okay, so now let's take it back to what we're talking about with Brene Brown and and the children, and kind of how we react to our children to begin with. Okay, and I don't like the concept people use with um, the same with dogs. I don't like when they or animals. I don't like when people say. And this is my own brain. I don't like when people say, oh, but you know, but they're a kid. Like, kids are supposed to do that. And I'm like, when you're born, you don't know race, right? You're taught that. When you're born, you don't know what's good and bad. You're taught that. Like, so I don't like the the concept of the same with animals. Because I put animals on a, maybe on too great of a mental capacity. That's just me. But when they go to the bathroom in the house, oh, but that, but they're dogs. They're supposed to do that. Not if you train them correctly. Yes or no. I understand accidents happen, but so this is kind of where my head's going. So right, a child. Um, so I use this example in my therapy quite frequently, right? To, to go off of even your example, it just happens to work with this. A toddler. Is a toddler given a manual to walk? No. Are you sure? 100%. Oh, okay. wait. No, maybe so, 100%. So then... Um, How'd they learn how to walk? Don't the parents kind of stand them up and push them a little bit? Oh, you're saying that's like a manual. No, no, no. Um, 
more our kids are observing us right they they see us doing this action and over time we see that they even start attempting they start scooting they start lifting themselves up the sponge but kids try they they they're mirroring often our, our actions right so so kids babies toddlers will start getting up and trying to walk and at such a young age when a baby falls you go you stupid toddler what is wrong with you right bad baby no you go yay good job encouragement cheer them up and they get back up and they do it again why is it at some point we really start switching that and we start going into yell and lecture mode Mm -hmm. when in the grand scheme of things not to say that they're not appropriate situations for that but in the grand scheme of things does that make you feel good No. no did it make you feel encouraged no Right. So so is it helping you get where you wanted to go? No, it's not. Yeah, we sit there and we beat ourselves up or we we lecture, we yell. Right. And again, not to say that there's not times and situations for something like that, but oftentimes it, it doesn't help anybody. It's not making the parent feel good. I know parents aren't happy when they've gone and yelled and lost their cool. Right. Kids don't feel any better. Right. And then we both end up mad in our own spaces, stewing on everything. And granted, can good things come from those things when we sit and reflect and understand or have had a good conversation? Absolutely. But how much do we move from encouragement and let's try again, let's fix the problem, let's keep going. So at at some point, oftentimes we, we get into this yell lecture mode at what point did we pick up that habit and start doing it ourselves? And right. how many of us have, have become our own worst enemies where we built up this own voice in, in our head? But how much of that was taught? And even so early on to kind of uh, mention, you know, at, up to, I want to say, you know, 10, 12, 15, maybe 15 even years old, depending on the child. But our our parents are like, we are trying to please our parents in every which way up to, again, like we're almost driving, you know what I mean? Like, cause we don't typically have boyfriends or girlfriends or, you know, like, like we have friends, but our parents are like the utmost highest. Like I want to bring home that, you know, a plus honor roll. I want to bring home this award. I want to, you know, do good on the, you know, sports team, make the team. So when we see this sort of person and this sort of, you know, kind of a shell and I'm going to don't get upset anybody, but, you know, sort of our form of what a God is, because I remember when I was younger, you know, my my dad to me was like a God. So um, to kind of upset who we deem as this kind of like higher power, like somebody who's super cool, like somebody who's super cool, like that we just look up to, like, I want to be like this person when I get older, like this right. is exactly how I want to be and live and because again, you only know what you what you've seen or what you're taught. So that role model. So end of the day, right? So it's like when you kind of upset that person, it's a little bit deeper. But now we're creating this kind of how you said um, separation to where they yell at you, you being the kid, and then the kid yells back, and there's that kind of separation where they don't talk. But again, and. I've told you guys before, you know, separation is good. Being by yourself is is good. But at starting at what age? Because from ages, you know, let's say zero up until even 15, 16, like you don't even know what to tell yourself prior to that. You're not taught about like, 
yeah, I I lashed out. I shouldn't have acted that way. Again, you're the child. You know, you're you're the one that's supposed to be learning. So again, and this again kind of creates those habits that I was kind of saying about where as we kind of get older, we're a creature of habits and we kind of mimic how we're taught. That's why a lot of right. parents when they raise kids, the kids are taught the same way. Even if they know it's wrong, they say, "Oh, what do they say? Oh, well, my parents did this to me, and I turned out fine." Or you know, oh, or you know, my my parents hit me, and you know, I I turned out fine. Like, change the norm. What's the difference? You know, hurt people, hurt people. Different. You know, you right. there might be different methods now from the way that the baby boomers and that millennials were raised. You know, there's right. tech, there's technology now. There's different things that you can learn. So. I think that that does play a uh, kind of like a huge part there because, again, we're instilling different values that we as adults were taught as children and we're passing it on to new generations. Is it always right? No, but we should be able to change that factor and make it for the better for the future. And let's face the fact, like getting back to the heart really of what we were originally talking about with mothers, right? Even let's face the fathers in this this notion here too. Babies don't come with a manual. We aren't given. This is how you need to raise your child. Good luck. No, at the end of the day, to have a little human being's life on your hands is challenging. It's overwhelming, right? You we're talking about these things so easy, and right. when you're in the midst of it, when the the baby's crying and yelling and screaming and throwing a tantrum in the middle of the store. Right. It's so much easier for us to speak about it than to sometimes be in the midst of it. But it does take having these conversations to say, how can we be better? How can we continue to grow, not just individually, but as a society? Right. I think sometimes we we forget that aspect of it takes a village to raise a child. Yeah. Right. Growing up, I always thought that was a funny thing. The older I've gotten, the more. Uh, I find my community, my tribe, the more I can understand how that makes sense. I see how hard it was with my mother being a single mother for a lot of years. She had three kids and was working three different jobs. But there was nobody else but her. Right. That was the only option. You have to make your own time. Right. And so it it does, though, take talking about these things and, and talking about sometimes the uncomfortable stuff, the, the controversial stuff that I could say something and, and people get incredibly offended about it. But it That's does take sure. having a conversation about it for us to to make a difference, for us to, to figure things out, for us to hear and learn new things and determine what's the best course of action for us and our families, right? But going back, though, to, to more specifically about women and, and motherhood specifically, right? We can dive into the children and the fathers right. and all that. Th- those can all be really wonderful topics themselves. Yeah. But we know as a society that we are in a new transitioning phase. M- oftentimes back in the day, it, it was, a, it was a, a mother and a father and their kids. Father was often the breadwinner who went to work right. and mothers stayed at home caring for the kids, Right. We're moving from that, and we know now as a society, the average home needs both mother and father to sustain an income, right? So now we are also seeing a different transition with women in a a place of trying to find how to make that work for themselves. Those who want to stay at home 
trying to figure out how to make that a possibility, if it's even a possibility, right? So now you have the work and mother expectation, and it's how do we work to balance that, right? Is there really a balancing act then? In this kind of day and age, I, I, I did like how you kind of touched on the thing with the, um how it's easy for us to kind of talk about this sitting here, right? It's with anything, it's a lot easier to say, well, you should have done this or you should have done that. Like it's, it's easy for us to talk about it, but to throw another uh, statistic in there, typically with minorities, you know, women have children a lot younger. So again, they're not even quote unquote fully grown yet. You know, I'll tell you personally, my mother had us young, her mother had them young and it just, we're talking about generational trauma. We're talking about things that people it's just it's just a force of habit because it's just kind of what you see. Okay, it's okay to have kids at nineteen, eighteen, seventeen. I never wanted that, you know. I never saw that as something because I know how much that my mother struggled and how much right. her mother struggled. Like, and it's just again because you're still growing up in the aspect of having a child. Women's bodies are able to have kids sometimes as early as fourteen, fifteen years old. Doesn't mean that you guys are ready. You're in, right. I'm not speaking for anybody, but my mother had me by the time she was sixteen. So, going on so. 17. Again, the body's capable of it, but it's you're mentally not there. You haven't even had a chance to fully grow up yet, go through these trials and tribulations. You haven't been able to do all these things, and here you are having to learn and how to nurture a little human. You know right. what I mean? Absolutely. So if you get mad and yell and scream, it's because you're still it's two kids arguing. Like we're we're talking about a bigger kid and a smaller kid arguing. Um, so I just wanted to kind of touch on that aspect before we kind of kept going because I thought that that was a very good point that you made, and it's just a lot more uh, culturally inclined in our specific situations because we are minorities. So it's 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 a lot more common for us. You know what I mean? Whereas we, right. if we were sitting with somebody who was Caucasian, it might not be as common. You know, Billy and Claire, their parents were thirty five, had careers, had a house, had a two car garage, had a dog. German Shepherd, it was great and lovely, but again, there is aspects in this um, culture as well, but mainly it's in minorities, and that's what we're kind of speaking towards in this sort of aspect. Right, and I think then there's the other aspects you can start getting into too, then finances, you know? Mm -hmm. How much does that affect the well-being and the raising of our children? I mean, I see alone my siblings and I who, who literally came from the bottom, right? Versus my little sister who now lives here in Orlando, Florida, in Avalon Park of all places. Right. You know, so to see her experiences, her emotional and mental development versus where I've seen mine and my siblings or my other brothers uh, is quite different, you know, and how all of those things do play an effect in it. But I think it really goes down to show that Sometimes, is there ever a right answer? Right. Yes. You know, and there's so many different factors at play when it comes to raising a family, raising a child alone. Yeah, I mean, just the difference in my own household. Uh, my sister's, what, she's barely four years older than me, but I can tell you the way that she was brought up and the way that I was brought up, it was completely different. And we lived together all of our lives, but just... You know, four years earlier, what my mother was capable of doing and what she kind of had to go through, it was different struggles than what she had to go through with me. So even how you said with your siblings, you know, I'm not too sure what the gap is, but four years is not that much of a gap. It's it's not that different. 
And right. I can tell you, it's it was almost night and day, kind of how she was raised and how I was raised. So, yeah, those are right. all those are all comparative. <laughs> like we're, we're we're talking about, you know, two parent household, single parent household. There's so many comparative things. Finances play a, a huge part. Right. Obviously, they say money doesn't bring you happiness, and I definitely agree with that. But money makes you able to live and sustain through the world, which brings one less stress of being poor and not being able to buy right. things because stress brings burden which causes unhappiness so well and stress how much does that break down our bodies alone exactly it opens us up to to health issues even mental health issues how right. often is it we're going through struggles we're going through stress that that's when we start seeing many of our issues arise right and, and exactly what you were saying with the the age gaps Probably, and I get where my mother was coming from, you know, the older you get, the more I think you really understand what they were saying and what they were trying to convey. Yeah. But even with, so I'm the oldest, then there's two years, a brother, another two years and another brother, and then like a 15 year gap, right? But even with my siblings, my my brother is growing up, it was always even seeing how they're raised differently, even with my little sister, well, they're younger than you. They don't know. They don't really understand. Right, right, right. They're younger than you. They're, she grew up differently than you. It's not fair to compare your, your situations and your circumstances. But even that, just those age differences and where they're at versus where you're at versus what they've learned along the way from, from you being in their lives. Right, yeah. Because, I mean, more, more so mom was kind of learning with you right and it actually plays a perfect part with you being the oldest and my sister being the oldest uh sad to say but again you don't get to pick the hand that you were dealt you know you i wasn't born first i was born second so my mother was kind of able to do a loop around and say okay i did this once already i can kind of do a little bit better (laughs) in an aspect as far as how maybe how i talk to him or how i kind of raise him or how i train him and again it wasn't it was little differences that made a huge difference even in like my upbringing but and that was one thing that i remember was like my sister used to always have to do chores always had to clean everything i never did that i never had to do that oh really not until i was like mm, i was maybe in middle school where i had to just like take out the trash but i remember my sister always cleaning everything because that's what my mom made her do um so i i just find that kind of how you kind of compare that aspect of and i i can't even imagine a 15 year gap because like we're talking like literally adult child like at, right. at this at this point yes <laughs> um, to where i'm sure you now as an adult as a grown woman you see the way that your mom you know uh teaches her and again it's not even more so <laughs> like uh anger but you're like damn like i didn't have it like this like yeah. <laughs> I, like like where was this that's, that's the real sibling side that yeah, comes out there <laughs> exactly you're just sitting there like and you're grown you know you have your own everything and it's just like dang how come this didn't happen for me but again cards that you were dope right. and, but if you look at it in overall how it made you as a as a person so you kind of have to take everything with a grain of salt absolutely and that sort of aspect Right. Um, yeah, that was a that was good there. Well, and what you were saying just a minute ago actually leads me to then a question for you, right? You were saying your sister was always the one having to do the cleaning. So for you, and this kind of goes into our topic, do you think at that point that was a societal or cultural difference? 
No. And the only reason I don't, and <laughs> I typically would say yes, but not in my household because, right. I, you know, my mother was a, like a single parent, you know, came up in a job where it was predominantly men. So, you know, my mother knew firsthand, like, it's not about cooking and cleaning and, you know, like a woman has to do X, Y, and Z. Um, I will tell you that she was definitely taught that from her grandmother. So I'm sure that she just wanted to instill values of having a clean home. Okay. It just happened to be that my sister was a female <laughs> first, but I don't. Right. <laughs> but I can tell you, I mean, definitely just from my other side of my family with kind of how they're raised, olden style, especially in the Spanish culture. Um, women, you know, that, that are, you know, we're talking two generations. They're taught. You clean the house. You cook the food. Um, and then the men works. But obviously that's not how it was in our house. But I've definitely seen other sides of my family where it's like that. And even to this day where there's cousins my age that are taught cooking and cleaning, like for for um for the brothers, for the, you know, dad, for the uncles, and I'm just like, it shouldn't be like this. It shouldn't be like this. Like why are we doing this? But Right. Yeah. Well, and that's perfect then. Uh in leading us to the next part with actually going over specifically what are some of those societal differences we're really seeing. So Brene Brown was one who released researched this and she actually did her research within uh, the norms in the United States and Canada. Right. And so what she did was what were the attributes that were most important to be classified as being feminine. Right. Mm. And so this is a good one. This what they one. found were, according to the, the results, the, in order for us to be f- feminine, to, to be seen as a woman, we are seen as being domestic, meaning those healthly duties, cooking, cleaning, those typical things, caring for children, and being responsible for their well-being. Being nice, pursuing a thin body, showing modesty by not calling attention to one's talents or abilities. Humble. By keeping sexual intimacy contained to one committed relationship. And by using resources to invest in our appearance. I I might be classified as feminine then. (laughs) (laughs) Half of these sound like me. And it's it, it's when was this done? If you know by chance, because this seems like such like such olden style. Like it just seems like a like the you know pursuing a thin body ideal and the whole taking care of the home and uh, just even the you know using your own money to kind of invest in your appearance. Kind of this seems like a you know back in the day women had to look a certain way and that kind of thing. So right. But um, yeah, this I, I can definitely see where this would kind of be the quote unquote norm for what makes a female feminine. So, Darren Greatly was, I believe, released in two thousand and twelve. Wow. So the research had been just prior to that. So it's I mean, we are fresh. seeing a slight gap. But I mean, if anything's going to be written and published, it's going to take some time. Right. So in the grand scheme of things, that is really kind of what we're seeing. But as you mentioned, we are going to start seeing shifts in a lot of these things. So yes, to some extent, maybe it's a little bit different. But for the most part, most of those individuals then uh, my age or older. So we're looking really, what, 
20s and up kind of a deal. Right. Generally, yeah. that that means you are generally raised on these standards. Those, and, those were the expectations in order for you to be female. And this is less right? than 12 years. Like, this is not even yes. that, that long ago, by the way. And for me, hearing those things, you know, they're not bad things, right? There are wonderful differences between men and women. This sexist, right? though. It's, <laughs> it's sexist right. to me. It seems right. sexist. So, well, and this is where, like I said, everybody's going to be different. There are individuals who are going to be a little bit more traditional, those who are going to be more modern. There, Everybody has what works for them, right? So these are definitely more traditional viewpoints, right? But even somebody like me, where I would classify myself a little more traditional, frankly, even I find myself struggling with some of these things, right? right? So y- you want me to use my resources to to make sure I look a certain way. way. I'm supposed to be able to to do everything as a as a woman, right? Have all these standards, be thin, look right. But what if that's not what I want? Right. What if that's not my body type? Mm. What if I don't have the finances to to pay into that? Right. Right? And who ultimately defines what beautiful is? Exactly. You know, back in the day, big women were what was beautiful. Right. Right? They still are beautiful, but that was what was societally accepted because that showed that you had money. You Mm. were capable of feeding. You were plumping, you were luscious, and they loved every bit of it. Exactly. Right? Now, those societies have changed, and how much have we seen them change over so many years? I mean, we went through stages where um, Marilyn Monroe was the style, right? And, and we see it change all of the time. We know in other cultures, right? In, in some African cultures, they do extending of necks. In yeah. some Asian cultures, they do the tapering of the feet. Every culture has different societal standards. What do Spanish people do? That's a good question. We, we, we like uh, accentuated features. Yeah, features, big hips. Big hips is Very for sure. curvaceous. Very curvaceous, just to keep can, it can kind of. Can you dance? <laughs> can you cook? Can you cook? Can you cook is a huge one. Right, right. I was like, uh, when it comes to appearance, I'm not sure there's as much. Right, because Spanish people tend to typically already be kind of set in stone kind of feel but and and how you use the word traditional um i mean it's actually kind of i i don't i didn't see you as traditional but that's how you <laughs> kind of take yourself so that's so again and that's like another play on words where it's like what we think of ourselves and what people think of us you know what i mean like right. kind of how we act and things like that so again and even you know um our our guest last week you know Suli, she's uh we've had to talk multiple times about traditional right and about what it kind of means and you hear women with traditional they're like uh uh-uh, uh no like that's not what this is it's not what we're doing like they a lot of them shun that where it's like some women and again it's not a bad thing some women say yeah traditional you know my mother was that my my grandmother was that that's how i'm I'm gonna be like that you know i'll still work but my husband comes home you have a hot plate of food you know kids are gonna we're all gonna eat together which there is some great things in that aspect you know there is like there is some great you know kind of things that you can take from that um a friend of mine actually she says you know like her family uh always makes it a point to um eat one meal together 
Mm-hmm. Right, which I think is personally that's a great thing. I wish I would have had, but my mother always worked, so right. it wasn't a possibility. But for sure, I would love to instill when I have children, like, hey, listen, one meal, even if it's you know more than like one one a day because of school, but right. dinner, like we have dinner together. Like I want you to be able to grow up and say, well, man, me and my parents always had dinner together. Like we always sat. After like a long day of right. school work, and we just talked for an hour. You know what I mean? Right. So, you know, again, there is some good things that kind of come out of it. But um, what is this other outline here? It's uh, from her book, Daring Greatly. Um, so now we're talking about shame, right? So, what women kind of consider shame to be? So this was specifically her asking. Okay, we've defined shamed. We know what shame is. Then tell me what your shame experience is. Okay. So these are exact uh, examples that women themselves have give and what their shame looks like. Meaning, I, so these were some of the examples that they give. Um, I feel shamed because I have to look perfect, do perfect, be perfect. Anything less than that is shaming. Being judged by other mothers. Being exposed. The flawed parts of yourself that you want to hide that everyone else um, is revealed to everyone else. No matter what I achieve or how far I've come, where I come from and what I have survived will always keep me from feeling like I'm not good enough. Um, even though everyone knows there is no way to do it all, everyone still expects it. Shame is when you can't pull off looking like it's all under control. Never enough at home, never enough at work, never enough in bed, never enough with my parents. Shame is never enough. No seat at the cool table. All the pretty girls are laughing. Right? And this goes back to, I think, what she was already stating earlier in her research. It's you have such polar opposites. We want you to... Go out and find your abilities, but we don't want you to be loud. You can't be can't be too bold, right? And, and we have so many back and forth, right? So in relationships, right? It, it's you. You're too emotional. Well, why aren't you connecting enough, right? right. You're you're too big, but I, I'm thinner than I was before. But it's right. still not good enough. Right. I'm bold. I'm a great businesswoman. I come out and I share my thoughts and my experiences. Wow. She's really pushy. Mm -hmm. Wow. She's a lot to handle. Right. So it's this constant pool of of so many different expectations. You're supposed to be big and strong, but soft and empathetic and warm. And there's a continuous, um, and I can't think of the word, but there's a continuous, as you could say, sort of look or level that you have to keep where you kind of have to tread both sides like very lightly yes. where you want to be, you know, um, part A, but you can't be too much A. You got to be some B as well, but you also got to be C and it's like you have to be this sort of superwoman kind of Oh yeah, how they say. You have to, and, and this goes back to kind of pleasing everybody where it's like at home life, work life, social life, but again, right. Where is this taught at? And, you right, know, and, that people-pleasing behavior yeah. even. And how much do we know alone that can be quite damaging when we're going to fill everybody else's needs but not meet ours. Right. Think like a man, act like a boss, but then you're so bossy. Uh, 
And and these are all things everybody I, I think every woman has experienced some experience having these kind of polar opposites. Even for for somebody like me working in the mental health hospital. Right. I had an experience with um my supervisor there. Was a man? Yes, he was. Okay. Um I love what I do. I love being a counselor. I love helping people. You know, it's very much in my nature from being a little girl, it's, I just knew I wanted to help people. Didn't know how. Thought for a long time was going to be a lawyer. Found out that wasn't my calling. Right. Right. Um, first internship. Right. Have everything documented. Everything's going really well. When it comes down to finally doing my meeting, the guy's like, I'm just not sure she's cut out for this. Mm. <laughs> And then come to find out, and it, it's one of those, thankfully, like I, I am authentic and true in right. who I am, right, and, right, I, yeah. and I and I've showed my evidence and everything like that, that I'm very lucky that I had another student who was there, who was, who was with me, who was a male. He was given all of the opportunities. He was offered to go in to do evaluations, to learn new things. He ha- He admitted straight up to our teachers, I didn't do a lot of work. I have no idea how he's saying that about her because she always had her stuff done. So same so exact I- scenario. You guys did the same thing, same course of action, but in your aspect as a female, he treated you differently versus how he treated the male. Right. And then Sexist. even, so that was a hospital. Yes. And then when I was, um, I had a, another experience in the jail where I was working as a counselor. And there, the the guards, they're only coming to talk to you because you're pretty. Right. You're not really helping them. And these are people that you work with that are sort of, not even sort of, they are belittling you. And this is the funniest thing. If you ask them, well, how is your unit doing? Is your unit in the jail, are they behaving well? Are they getting along? Is everything going well? Yeah, absolutely. Ever since you started coming. Mm-hmm. Oh, but they're only coming to talk to you because you're pretty. You're not really helping them. And that kind of, what's the word that I'm looking for here? Uh, That kind of disregards sort of your whole expertise as to what you've learned and what you've kind of gone through school for. And things like they're kind of, um, what is the word that I'm trying to say? They're trying to not disregard, but they're trying to like pretty much lower what is it that you're kind of offering to the table? Like you're not doing as much as you know we are in a sort of aspect. I'm, I, I can't think of the word for the life of me, but they're again just kind of bringing you down in in a sort of like yeah, but what you do is not as important. That's sort of what I'm trying to say. Like right. it, it doesn't hold the same kind of weight if we had to kind of compare. And that again goes back to that macho man mentality where we're taught, yeah, the man is. And this, oh, this is a perfect point to bring up. Um. For the longest time, and I still see it to be true, but people say it's not, but I don't believe that. You know, men typically more so are always paid more than women. Still true. Okay, so men are always paid more than women. There's no rhyme or reason up to, you know, just a few years ago, women weren't allowed in the military. They weren't allowed to do these jobs that men that, that men held, but... Then it came down like, oh, women are actually capable to, you know, fly fighter jets and they're able to bear arms and they're able to get on the front line and fight, you know, for military or, you know, be first responders or, you know, firefighters or things like that. So 
again here, what is the commonality to where we're saying you and I do the same job? We're both police officers, right? Mm-hmm. Same experience, everything, but you get paid less than me. Why is that? Just because she's a female, she's she's uh, risking her life the same exact way. Uh-huh. She's spending the same amount of time, but solely because you're a female, they don't deem it fit. Oh mm-hmm. no, they you know it, it it's not equal. That's something that obviously we don't agree with, and we're trying to change the the kind of scope on right in the world nowadays. Absolutely, and that's still. Like you said, something we're still seeing, we're still challenging, right. we're, we're still seeing how do we build that sense of equality. We even know right now that there are more women going to college who have higher educations than the amount of men right now. Not only that, but we are seeing that some of the most successful companies are ran by women nowadays. Yes. Right? So we are seeing all these shifts. Yet we still haven't seen this shift really in the pay gap. Let us shout out for some applause for our women empowerment and our strong women out there. We see you. We love you. We appreciate you. Be bold. Be bold. Continue to be bold. Be great. Show off your assets. You know, you deserve it. You're not a psycho. You're not a pushover. You're not on your period. You're not cold. You know, these are all things oh, that... Oh, uh, wow. Not on your period. That's that's one. Yeah, you that's, will never get told that one, Mr. Abel. Right. Now, will you? Are, you? are you on your period Yeah, right see, and that's, and that's also a common thing that they even say in the uh, workplace. I mean, what? I've had experience where I've witnessed, like, a female co-worker and, and like, you know, our our boss kind of made that... Like, hey, you know, are you good or are you, are you on your time of the month? First of all, it doesn't even concern you if she is, one, but two... Why? Because she's acting, you know, a little bit standoffish. What if I did that? Am I on my period or what am I on? Right. And and this is where let's bring up another aspect of this, too. We see societal standards, right, uh, of men and women, right? We, We do sometimes feel that pressure from our male counterparts. But how much as we as females feel pressure from each other? How much of it do we shame one another? We're, we're judging other mothers. We're judging other women for how they dress, how they act, right? And how much do we sometimes perpetuate those messages? You know, as much as that one bothers me, the are you on your period? Unfortunately, I have met some women who will come, I can't do my job because I'm on my period. I can't, you know, not to right, say yeah. that at that point, you know, maybe there's a medical issue, but then right. it should be addressed as a medical issue, Right. Instead of saying, well, I'm on my period, I can't do X, Y, Z. Then how much are we perpetuating that message then? Exactly. Uh, I'm trying to think that uh, the the point that you just kind of drew me to um, in that sort of aspect, how you say the sort of fight that women fight against other women. This goes back to sort of how we're kind of and we by we, I say women. I'm, I'm, I'm able to sort of speak because Alex is right here next to me. She can, <laughs> she can adjust me if I'm wrong. But I can say, you know, with women, you're kind of taught early on, like, you know, I got to be better than her. You know what I mean? Or even the same with the men aspect. Like, it's everybody for themselves. And sort of how they even say, um, this is a random thought. But on construction sites, their signs always say men working. It 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 doesn't say women working. Why is that? 
Or how come it's the sayings always every man for themselves? Or how about women? You know what I mean? Like, right. That's something that always confused me. I've seen women on construction sites working, and the signs literally say the signs when you take the test for the for your permit or for your license. They say what sign is this? And it says men working. Right. There's it's an all women team. You know what I mean? So, um, but again, I think that that's something that's taught early on with our women and. With our men, like, you have to be better than the next person. It's not about you. It's about how can you be better than them or, you know, show out to them or have a bigger car or a bow or whatever it is. How can you be better than the next person? So right. I, I think that there is that sort of, you know, internal fight that we have with each other. We as, you know, men and women, but more so women in this, in this aspect. So where now take away this aspect of internally fighting with our women with women now i have to go to this predominantly male job and right. fight with them too and oh my god I'm, now i'm on my period <laughs> it's like right. and you so you see really how you get so much pressure from so many different aspects layer on top of that just just alone to be a woman can be challenging in itself right now layer on the fact that you're a mother in charge of another human being's life right it, and it becomes so much more exasperated at that yeah. point Right. And so when you look at the grand scheme of it, when you look at all the different aspects, it it makes sense. And this goes, I think, back to still talking about some of those shame messages. Right. Hurt people hurt people. Mm -hmm. Right. So how much of it uh, we do see, especially with women, that we are really critical of one another. Right. Somebody will. She's dressed too with too slutty she's dressed too modest right right? there there's a a wrong in each of them there is no real winning there but how much of that does come from individuals shame messages that they were shamed for so long that in turn again we start shaming others Mm, right so then the goal really goes back to self-healing right how do we make ourselves the best version of ourselves so we aren't actually going out being hurt people Hurting other people. And this leads back to the home environment. Right. This goes back to, again, this early stages of life. And just to show you that this makes sense, you know, this we didn't plan this. So what she just said, what we've been kind of saying, she being out, it just kind of, it, it all makes sense when you put them all together. It has to start early on. Now, we as adults, we can't change how we were taught, but we can change how we do teach. And that kind of goes into the aspect how we of grow. how we grow. Yeah, because every day we're constantly learning and we're constantly adapting, progressing. If you're not progressing, then you're staggering. And that's always, that's the biggest fail, personally, I think, that you can do to yourself. If you're not continuing to grow as a you know person mentally in any aspect. Um, but again, this goes back to, again, how we sort of teach, how we were taught. How can we change the different sort of, you know, aspects that we were raised on saying that this is right from wrong. Well, wait a minute, you know, let us express ourselves. Let us right. maybe do a little bit of wrong and learn from our mistakes. Mm-hmm. Let us not be scolded for it. Right. Let's have some grace with one another. Mm-hmm. None of us are perfect. Right. Even if we know, like the human brain is generally still developing up until the age of 25, right? I'm still growing. So if we know we're still all developing, if we all know we're flawed, if we all know we make mistakes, then can we all just lay off? Literally. Can we just be more loving? It's one of those, and there's a saying for the woman, it's, it's, um, go help another queen fix her crown. Mm. You know, you don't need to tell, you don't need to steal her crown. It's her crown. Mm -hmm. Help her fix it. Why you got to tear her down? 
We don't need to. We can build a culture where we build each other up, right? And there's so many different ways we can really start working with that. I mean, in general, how good does it feel to to be complimented, to be, to be acknowledged, to say, thank you, Abel, for giving us this opportunity to be here. Thank you, Avalon Park, for for building in this opportunity for us to be here, to have conversations like this, to make a difference in our world. I just had this conversation yesterday about compliments. So it feels, <laughs> it, it feels really good. Thank you for asking because it's one of my biggest things. But um. Yeah, that's a factor, but that's why. And again, Alex, this is why I, you know, I talk to a lot of people, but I do love sitting with you because you do kind of give that caveat um, sort of different side from what I might see or say, and especially in the female male kind of aspect. So that's something that I do appreciate. And it's, it's the facts, you know. Maybe people are a creature of habit because they haven't seen a different side of it. They only know what they're taught. So you don't know what you don't know. Right. So I mean you how can you change anything? So yeah, we're here to kind of give that little different aspect there, um, and you know, kind of change something around for that. Um yeah, I I think that that was a really good sort of segue and sort of topic there. I think that we kinda of touched on a lot of points and kinda of hit some really and um really important things. Let's go ahead and get into our email questions of the week. See what we got for Alex. I have some already that I pulled and wrote out. Remember, guys, if you want to email your questions, email us at questions at projectingforward.org. That is questions at projectingforward.org. All right, question one, Alex, are you ready? We'll find out. Here we go. So question number one is I'm trying to find a happy medium with co-parenting with my ex-husband, but I cannot get past the traumatic past we have been through and what he has put me through. I want us to be both. I want us both to be present in the baby's life and do what's right. But there is so much I can't get over. I'm trying to find out if you guys can shed some light for us. Alex, I'll let you go ahead and lead. Okay. Wow. (laughs) And then this is where I remind people I only have the question at hand to get a full backstory would be so incredibly helpful, right? With with something like this, when it comes to co-parenting, as you guys may have kind of gathered, I do come from a broken home. My biological father did leave really early early on. So talking about divorce, co-parenting, all of that is totally up my alley. Um, Biggest thing I I can give to any parents going through any type of parenting situation like that is, Remember that that's still your kid's parent, right? And they hear what you're saying. And remember how that reflects on them. Does it ever feel good to hear somebody, Abel, does it, would it feel good to have somebody talking bad about your mom? No. What about your dad? No. How would it feel if you heard your mom talking all kinds of smack about your dad? I'm not good at all. How would that make you feel about her? Would make me look at her differently. Right. So biggest tip I can give with co-parenting just as an individual is try your best to mince any words or not speaking negativity about the other parent. Right. Exactly what you said. Being the parent who talks down about the other parent, we as kids see that. For me, that was probably one of the hardest things. My mother refused to say one negative thing about my father. My father, on the other hand, was not as kind, was not as gracious. 
And so it was always her fault. Always. Everything was her fault. I want to be married to her. I want to be with her. She doesn't want to be with me. Right? The thing is, as you get older, you still remember those things. You still see those things. Right. And do you want your view, like your kid to to have their view changed of you because you were speaking badly about their parent? Right. What's uh what's a word that you can kind of like because it, isn't there a word for kind of how somebody speaks about somebody else when they're not around and it kind of gives you a preconceived notion of them? Um I I can't think of the word here either, but I I can kind of relate to it in the same aspect how you said with your mom. Uh you know, my mom made it a point to never obviously I I grew up in a single parent home. She never made it she made it a point to never speak bad about my father. When she had many a time to do so, she would always kind of give the caveat of, hey, what's kind of going on? And, you know, like whatever I'm kind of going through, she would always bail them out like, well, maybe this happened or maybe this happened or, you know, he does work a lot. Maybe he's super busy, like always. And I remember back then, like, you know, you don't understand. You don't get it. But now when I look at it, I'm like. Damn, she did the most for somebody who used to talk so ill about her, but she didn't want me to have a preconceived notion right. to to hate this guy Absolutely. without giving my own like without having my own actual or organic relationship with him. So right. she didn't want to give me this, you know, preconceived whatever issues and torment he might have put her through. She didn't want to push that on me and. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I became an adult where I was like, wow, ahead of her time. Like she really gave me a chance to make my own, you know, assumptions and my own thoughts and my own experiences through the situation. So I found that to be very commendable. And I do. And I did uh, appreciate it. So thank you for that. And Uh, this is where I think you were kind of maybe I, I don't have a specific word for it necessarily, But it's one of those, if you know this person is talking about somebody you clearly love and care about, what are the chances they could do the same to you? Mm -hmm. Right? So I think that's where that notion, because we hear that often with our friends, right? If they're sitting there talking smack about one of their friends, what are the chances you're that friend in another situation? Very true. Or even the aspect of a, a boyfriend, girlfriend talking about when you guys go through kind of an issue or kind of a hard time and um, you might share it with a close friend or maybe like a family member and, you know, you guys get through that hard time and let's just make an example here because uh, this is something that we can kind of relate to, not we as an us, but saying me as like a person, not that I've done it, but I've been a part of a situation where somebody's going through a hard time with their significant other and they tell me how bad that the person is to them and how they verbally um, abuse them, you know, emotionally, all these things to where when you finally see the person, you're like, you're the person that's so rude to my friend or whatever. And it gives you a preconceived notion. Like, I don't think I like you. Like, right. I, I, I don't think I'm a fan of you. Right. But then. Fast forward, they get through whatever it is that they're going through and they're all hunky dory, you know, happy. I'm sorry. I don't think I'm a fan of you anymore. Like, I don't know. Like, you put my friend through torment. You did X, Y, and Z. And personally, I have a hard time getting over certain situations 
where somebody, you know, what somebody does when they're angry always sticks out to me because that's how you really feel in in my, my eyes. How somebody reacts when they don't get their way or the verbiage that they use to you, if they raise your hand to you, those are things that always stick out in my head to where I say, yeah, like you guys are so amazing right now and it's the cupcake phase and, you know, love is love and you yeah, have married and kids are, you know, going to come. But what about here a few months ago when... You know, she verbally abused you, spit on you, yelled at you. Those are what stick out to me, even right. if it's not my own scenarios. And again, that might be a personal uh, issue that I should kind of grow from. But there's certain things that I can never let go of in, in an aspect because there's certain lines that you shouldn't cross as a person there. That's a guess you deep on it. But yeah, that's kind of where right. I felt in that aspect there. And so I think it goes down to what we were kind of saying with really trying to be cautious with the right words to say. Now, when it comes down to more of the co-parenting aspect, you can only co-parent if somebody wants to co-parent. Right. It's co. If somebody is not interested or willing to be involved, then there's not a whole lot you can really do about that in that aspect because we can't force somebody to participate, frankly, if they don't want to. Now, when you start getting into legalities, can you take them to court, all of that, right? But this is where a a parent can have custody. Somebody like my father had had partial custody. He didn't want to participate. He stepped out of it. There there was no co-parenting in that aspect. Um, but if the person is willing, I would suggest couples counseling, frankly, right? And granted, we call it couples counseling, but couple counseling should be for any type of dual relationships. So that could be a friendship, a boyfriend, girlfriend. It's just called couples counseling, right? Because they'll be able to dive into more of the specifics. But a lot of it does come down to can we work to communicate better? Can we work to draw boundaries better but if you have somebody who does not want to communicate and is not willing to accept boundaries it becomes a lot more complicated right best thing for co-parenting though is really working on those boundaries for yourself and not allowing other people to cross those boundaries then too does that make sense yeah it does and my sort of caveat to that answer would be this um at one point you guys loved each other at one point, this was your everything. At one point, you know, you guys laid your heads together. Now we have this other human here. Try to think about those times in these aspects. Again, I can't relate it to my own scenarios because I've never been through it, but that's how I kind of see things when I'm going through something with somebody. I try to think about, well, at one point we were this. At, you know, at one point we were this. So let me try to, let me try to, you know, can you find that friendship right. aspect can alone? We find, yeah, like, can I think about, and not even trying to live in, in, the, in the past, but if we got to this certain point of, you know, whether we were dating or anything, we obviously cared deeply, uh, uh, you know, uh, about each other at some point. Right. So it's like, w- why can't we get to, you know, get back to at least a friend aspect? And especially if there's a child involved. Try to put your differences aside. Again, a lot easier said than done. We don't know the whole scenario, but uh, please let us know if that answers your question right. and uh, follow up with us and see if we can, if that if that works for you. Absolutely. All right. Question number two. This is the last question. It says, um, 
I am trying to get over my fear of theme parks. When I was younger, I had a very traumatic experience. And now that I have kids, I want to take them to these places and have a great time. But I can't seem to shake off my own traumas and get past it. Do you have anything I can try to do with assessing and making it possible for me to go to theme parks again? It has been about 20 plus years. Okay. And she also goes in here uh, and to say that it wasn't anything. Um, I don't want to say this word. Um, it doesn't go. It. Nothing too crazy. Yeah. It, yeah. It wasn't like. A, I don't want to say this word, but it just wasn't anything like super, super. Messed up. Yeah. I don't want to say traumatic because traumatic is. Traumatic would be technically correct. But I get what you're saying. Yeah. Like what what I deem as traumatic. Catastrophic. Right. Right. It's not like a make or break. Like. Right. Right. You know, she she, she definitely wants to try to get past it, but she hasn't been able to. And now she has kids. You know, we want to make these memories. Okay. So thankfully, theme parks nowadays do have options so you don't have to necessarily ride rides there are options where you can kind of just sit and and go with the family oh no she Um, wants to go on the rides okay (laughs) so right let's dive into that part now so when it comes more specifically to this one again this is all without any kind of background information. If this is something you really are wanting to to dive into more deeply, I'm always going to suggest meeting one-on-one for counseling, right? But what I would suggest right off the bat without any other kind of information here, start working on some desensitization. So desensitization in as many aspects as possible relating to theme parks. This is going to... How does it make some people have anxiety to the point thinking about the theme park would cause a lot of anxiety, right? So starting there, let's sit and have thoughts about being there at the park while working to get ourselves to get back to a calm, relaxed state, right? Let's watch a video of being at the theme park and get more comfortable with that. Okay, now we're, we're there. Can we go to... Um, look up more pictures. Can we work to visualize ourselves there more with our family? So kind of like some stimulus kind of things, like, uh, but not like necessarily like actual smells or sounds, but maybe like visuals, like how you're saying. Starting there. Right, like and then workers. slowly but surely work up to more, right? So if it's easy to handle the videos, it's easy to do all that aspects, right? Get there slowly but surely. Right. And this is where, like I said, we, we call it we're desensitizing. We're slowly but surely making this less traumatic. Right. right. So then getting to the point, OK, well, then let's go on the little they have like the simulation, yeah, yeah. like the virtual ride, with like the 3D glasses. or something Exactly. Like that. Yeah. Then trying something like that, like Dave and Buster's has like one of the typical simulators, right. one of those. Can you handle that? OK, you can handle that. OK, then. Let's try something a little bit more advanced now. Let's try go sitting sitting at Fun Spot. How do you feel just sitting in the parking lot? Okay, you're good there. Let's try a little kitty ride, right? They they're almost gonna always have some infant toddler ones, and those are they're just gonna go be going in circle. You're not going through anything crazy, right? If you could do the simulator, in theory, you should be able to do a child's ride, right? Right, and, and build slowly but surely. To the point you want to be at. But at least in that aspect, it can happen over time and it doesn't have to be all at once. When it's all at once, 
oftentimes we, we can see that panic becoming induced, right? So if she gradually builds, it's kind of like you're just taking it away little by little. Now the sounds aren't too much. Now the sights aren't too much. Okay, now we're used to the sense. We know what it feels like now to be on a ride, right? And sometimes it's certain rides just aren't for certain people, and yeah. that's okay too. Yeah. So do you have any sort of like times table on that, you think, or it, it kind of varies on the person? That one will really vary on the person. So it happened to be I happen to have somebody talk about something quite similar with airports, Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. So same concept. Can we work small over time? Right. So it'll really vary on the person and how they feel when somebody's motivated. They generally really work to find a way to make it happen. Right. Yeah. Right. So if it's going to bring you an immense amount of joy and pleasure spending that time with your family at the theme parks, being being there with our children, right. sometimes that sense of love and happiness can be enough to outweigh everything else. Okay. Yeah, I definitely uh, agree with that there in that sort of aspect. I don't have, really have an answer for that because she gave a very, a very technical term, so like a very technical answer. So um, I don't really have one to kind of compare that to. Maybe last suggestion too, maybe starting with theme parks, I would maybe suggest more like a Universal Studio. Yeah. Because Universal does a lot more of the visual graphic yeah. rides. So they're not very like intense. So you'll have um like what's the one with Minion. um the yeah, like the minions. Like Shrek, so yeah. you just are kinda going in a circle and yeah. it's more like a interactive video game yeah. rather than intense roller coaster. Right. This so might, doing like that can be quite beneficial. This might become expensive for you, but yeah, that's those are some, <laughs> those are some aspects for you to kinda try there. Um Again, guys, make sure to send your questions to info at uh, projectthinkforward.org. Visit our website at projectthinkforward.org. I think that that's a good place for us to kind of stop there, Alex. Um, in the upcoming weeks, we are going to have the caveat discussion about men and fathers, right? yes, sons sir. and fathers. Um, in the upcoming weeks, so guys, please do stay tuned for that. And, uh, I mean, Alex, again, it's always a pleasure to sit down and speak with you. You always bring a different sort of energy to the room with this that i do uh appreciate look down below for all of the information and links for alex if you guys do want to get in touch for you know teletherapy or anything of uh, that sort and uh, other than that i think that we're all good to go hope you guys have a great first day and first week of june remember to always think forward and stay positive all right